There's a story told of a new pastor to a small, struggling church. He was a bit young and inexperienced, but both he and the church were excited that he was there. They had heard him preach, you know, when he came to candidate, that's what we call it. And he was actually quite good. Sure enough, that first Sunday with great anticipation, the church listened as he preached a great sermon. And the, the, the place was buzzing with excitement. And so much so that the next Sunday, there were even a few new faces. But when the pastor stood up, surprisingly, he preached the exact same message from the week before. People exchanged puzzled glances. Well, it was a good sermon, they thought. Maybe he was busy this week, getting acclimated, you know, to the new community, getting moved in, and well, so they let it slide. Then, the next week, much to their surprise, it happened again. He stood up and preached the exact same sermon. This time, there were not puzzled glances, but arms folded glares. What was going on? So the pulpit committee, the elders and the deacons quickly called an emergency meeting with this new young pastor. They, they asked him, what are you doing? You preached the exact same message three weeks in a row. The young pastor paused, looked over the room and replied, when you start applying this one, we'll move on to the next. I love that story. It expresses a pastor's heart for his people, that they would not merely listen to the Word, but do what it says. And, and, and that story could actually be applied to the aged apostle John as he wrote his first epistle. We, well, we call it First John. I shared with you just a few weeks ago the likely true story that whenever the old apostle was able to gather strength and gather with the church in Ephesus, and when given the opportunity to speak, he would say the same thing. My little children love one another. Puzzled, they once asked him, is that all you have to say? To which he replied, if you love one another, it is enough. As you read through the first letter, and as I preach through it, I wonder how many times we will think, John, how many times will you tell us the same thing? Hear these words. If you love one another, it is enough. That is not to suggest that all you need is love, as the Beatles sang, but it is incredibly important. You see, we arrive today at the third of his three tests to determine the authenticity, the reality of genuine Christian faith. You, you know them well by now because I'm following my mentor and I'm telling you over and over. First is the theological test. In order to be a Christian, you must believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh to be the propitiation for the sins of His people that He did that by dying on a cross and, and rising again. And through simple f repentance of faith, you, you can be saved. This is glorious news. This is the truth of the gospel. The second test we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it's called the, the moral test. If you have been saved by simple faith, then, then God changes your life. 
The Holy Spirit takes residence within you. You now have the Spirit-empowered ability to actually choose not to sin. That's incredible. Of course, we saw that when we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. This is this was not permission to sin, to presume on grace. I'm saved, so I'm okay. I can sin. God will forgive me. No. Having been saved, assurance, assurance, don't miss that word, assurance from salvation comes from a desire to walk as Jesus walked, to obey his commands. It's a moral test. Third test we arrive at today, we call it the relational test. Having been born again, this time into a spiritual family comprised of other followers of Jesus, you love one another. <laughs> Simply said, Christians love other Christians. A couple of weeks ago, I said this, and I want to say it again, so important. The first test is required to produce, don't miss that word, produce salvation. You must believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, come in the flesh, given by the Father to die and be raised again for the sins of His people, for, well, for your sins. You must believe the gospel in order to be saved. It's indispensable. Now, the second and the third tests are required not to produce salvation. They are, however, required to prove salvation, to give you assurance. You must pursue holiness. You must love God's people. They, they, they are tests that John gives us so that we can know that we have eternal life. I, I want to be clear. You don't obey His commands. You don't love other Christians in order to be saved. You do so because you have been saved, meaning meaning. It's difficult not only to say, but this is difficult to hear. You show me someone who at one point say, say they believe the gospel, they prayed a prayer, but whose life never changed, who, who does not pursue holiness and further has nothing to do with the church, and I will show you someone who at best has no assurance of salvation and at worst is not saved, is not a Christian. Because John, you see, says, if you say you know God, if you say you have fellowship with Him, if you say that you are in the light as He is in the light, but walk in darkness, you lie. You are self-deceived. Today, he will say, the one who says he is in the light yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. Brings us to our text today, the relational test found in 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 to 11. Look at it with me. Beloved, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
the relational test. Said positively, the the one who says, Jesus is my Lord, I I walk in the light as He is in the light, the the one who has been born again into a family of God loves the Christian family. And you may say, well, that, that would be me. I mean, I don't hate Christians, so I guess I pass this test. But here's the question, do you love them? How how do you know further? How do they know that you love them? How do you demonstrate that love? You see, for John, it is not enough to say, well, I don't hate them. I, I even like them most of the time. He will later make clear that this love is to be expressed in action. How do they know? Here's the outline that we will use to make our way through the text. It's an old commandment, then a new commandment, (laughs) and then obeying or disobeying the commandment. Now, John typically draws stark contrasts through this letter. It's kind of light and darkness. You remember that I said there's no such thing as twilight, okay? You can't live with one foot in the church, if you will, in light on Sunday morning, and the other foot in darkness the rest of the week doesn't work that way. You're either in the light or you're in the dark. Truth and and lies. Now, love and hate, same thing. You can't say that you love and do nothing about it. He's battling false teachers who wanted to call evil good, darkness light, lies truth, and now hate love. Did they actively hate? This is a question we need to consider. Or was there just an absence of love? They claim to know God, who is light, who is truth, who is love, but they walked in darkness, and they walked in hate. John calls them liars. They don't know God. He doesn't just say they're confused, they're straying a little bit, they're, they're inaccurate, they're, they're a little off. He says they are liars. I often wonder how... John would do some of the funerals that I've had to do. They're lost. They're walking in darkness. Now, this does beg a question. Is it John? Is it loving to call them out like that? I mean, all we need is love, right? This doesn't seem very loving. I mean, you don't call people names if you're loving, John. You should learn to be more tolerant, unless. Unless to claim to know God and yet not live like it, and seek to, to, live, and seek to have others live in darkness with you is serious with eternal consequences. To, to allow people to live in self-deception, to live in darkness is not loving. We think it is. We think it's loving to keep our mouths shut. Where did that come from? Indeed, the loving thing to do is to call it out. As Christians, we are accused of being unloving. Now, to be clear, we should never be accused of being unloving because of our actions, okay? Now, sometimes that happens, but we should be the most loving of all people. But 
We are often accused of being unloving because we are supposedly what? Intolerant or arrogant because we, we speak truth. And so here has become the challenge for us. The evangelical church has an insatiable desire to be accepted, to be well-liked, to be in the mainstream. And so she often has backed away from truth so as not to be offensive. She often sacrifices truth on the altar of acceptance. And I want to say to you that truth is not the enemy of love. In fact, I would argue lies are the enemy of love. Darkness and lies and hatred go together. So also light and love and truth. Light and love and truth go together. And darkness will not like it when we, in love, speak truth. But our supreme goal is not to be accepted, but to be loving. John starts in verse 7 with the word beloved. First of many times, I think six times, that he uses uh, that word in his letter. He calls them loved ones, which is appropriate, I suppose. He's getting ready to tell them to love one another, so he calls them beloved. But is this just a ploy, a, a tactic? I'm going to tell you to, to be loving, so I suppose I ought to be loving? I don't think so. John saw himself as the one Jesus loved. He had experienced it. He, he was there when Jesus gave the, the, the new commandment. He was at the foot of the cross when Jesus, in agony, looks down at John and says, take care of mom. John had seen uh, and heard love exemplified. And so over and over, he demonstrates what this true love was and is. My little children love one another. It is enough. Not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning, the old commandment is the word which you have heard. Lots of discussion, lots of discussion about this. Some suggest this commandment of love is found throughout time. I mean, certainly in the Old Testament, remember Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and, and strength. And then Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 22, what, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He quoted Deuteronomy 6 and, and Leviticus 19. It was an old command, some suggest, going all the way back to Moses. Actually, it goes all the way back to the beginning of time. And then later in 1 John 3, John, John will say, again, <laughs> you're going to get tired of it by then, again, love one another. Don't be like Cain, the oldest of Adam and Eve, who killed his brother Abel. So this concept, this commandment of love, goes all the way back to our very first parents. But, but, but notice how John says it. This old commandment is one you have heard from the beginning. The beginning of what? The old commandment is the word which you have heard. So, so, so many others suggest, I personally think rightly, that this commandment, while rooted in the Old Testament, is found most fully, is found most fully in the life, and in fact, in the teaching of, of Jesus. This old commandment they had, they had heard from the time the gospel was, was first preached to them. Hold on to that. From the time they first heard the gospel, they heard the command, oh, by now, to love one another. They had heard 
of the teaching of Jesus from the Gospel of John, right? It's the night of His betrayal, the, the last Passover, the first Lord's Supper. He's going to the cross the next day, and Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you that you love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Then later, that very same evening, John chapter 15, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's how you're supposed to love other Christians, like Jesus did. How? Next verse. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. So, so, so wait a minute. You're saying that we should love one another by laying down our lives for them? Yes. In, in a manner of speaking. And we will come back to that over and over the point this morning is this commandment to love one another goes all the way back to the life and teaching and example of Jesus. Now, at this point, at this, it was written several decades old and by, for us, several centuries old. But it is a command that is old and yet enduring that we love one another because it is enough. I find it incredibly interesting that they heard this command to love one another from the beginning when they first heard the gospel. That's what it means. Have you ever thought of the gospel, including this idea of loving one another? Is that part of your gospel presentation? But, but by the way, if you accept Jesus, you've got to love other Christians. Of being saved into a family of believers who become our new family? We don't... We don't hear that much. We don't do that much. You see, our problem is in our Western civilization, in our individualistic society where self, self, self is of utmost importance, even when we hear the gospel or share the gospel, that's what we talk about. We talk about self. We talk about me or me and Jesus. And the family, listen, and the Christian family of believers is optional. An add-on later, if we ever get to it. But here John says, loving one another is something they heard when they first became believers. Hmm. And then all of a sudden it makes sense if we remember that he writes these things to us so that we can know that we have eternal life. By believing that Jesus is the Christ, yes, that simple faith and repentance and faith produces salvation. But also, listen, you want assurance of your salvation? Did I use a couple of weeks ago when I gave, told you a little bit of my my story, when I knocked on doors and I told people, I, I talked people into being saved, and I said, now you know that you're saved because you said the right words. It's not what John says. By obeying his commands and loving one another, that's proof. This is how you can know. You see, if we never, listen, if, you don't, if you're taking notes, write these things down. If we never get to the Christian community called the church, if we make it optional as we are so inclined to do, it is no wonder that so many lack assurance of salvation. The gospel is meant to be lived out in community. In fact, I would suggest the gospel cannot be lived out in isolation. And if there is no community, there is no assurance. 
I want to say to you, please do not make the church optional. And I'm not just talking about the Sunday morning gathering, although I include that. Don't make loving your spiritual family a burden or an option or an occasional experience. Make it a necessary joy and privilege, a significant goal in your life. You want a New Year's resolution? Here it is. Love one another. It's indispensable. John goes on to confuse us just a bit. Real quickly, point two in the next verse, he just said, I am not writing a new commandment to you. Now in verse eight, he says, well, on the other hand, now that I think about it, I am writing a new commandment to you. So which one is it, John? Is it, is it old or is it new? Lots of discussion about that, what, what he means. Uh, clearly, he goes on to talk about this command to love one another. So what does he mean by calling it new? Is it because Jesus called it new back in John chapter 13? Perhaps, I think even likely, but the clue actually comes in the rest of the verse. He's, he's giving it meaning. That's how it's new, which is true in him and in you, this n- new commandment. Because the darkness is passing away, true light is shining. Two very important ideas here. First, it is new because while the commandment is old, In a sense, when it first came, it came without power. People were not able to fully obey the command. Even if you take it all the way back to the garden, they were never fully able to obey the command. They needed something. They needed the new covenant. They needed the death of Jesus. Now, it is new because it is found truly in Him that is in Jesus. Jesus then becomes the true expression of God's love. Demonstrated most clearly at the cross, which is why He gave them the new commandment the day before the cross. I'm giving you a new commandment. You can keep it now. Further, I want to point out his love was irrespective of the loveliness of the objects loved. (laughs) His love was despite the ones loved. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners, wretched, unlovable, Christ died for us. God's love is seen most clearly and brilliantly when He loved the unlovely, the undeserving. For in this way, God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son into the world, not to condemn the world, although condemnation is what we rightly deserved. He sent His Son so that through Him the world could be saved. That is love. This is the love in Him that is now in us when we believe in Him. And it is a love that is expressed with us. I want you to hear me. Irrespect, if we want to be like Jesus, we want to walk like Jesus walk, if we want to love like Jesus loved, then we will have a love expressed irrespective of the loveliness of the ones loved. Will you think about that for a minute? We so often look at the church with all of our failures and with all of our foibles and find it difficult to love. I get it. (laughs) How many times have you heard criticisms? Not only out there. Of course there's criticisms out there. But even within. Probably rightly. 
criticisms brought against the church. And yet, when we were lost, unloving, He loved us and He saved us and commands us to love one another despite our many imperfections. That love is in Him and in us. It's a new command. Second idea is the last part of the verse, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, in chapter 1, John, First uh, uh, John, John said, this is the message we have heard um, that we proclaim to you, announce to you that God is light, in Him is no darkness at all. So God is light, but in John 1, He makes it clear that Jesus was the light who has come into the world. In John chapter 8, Jesus said of Himself, I am the light of the world. The light had come into the world, the darkness did not comprehend it, and yet the light is shining. Don't miss it. Just like when we lit our candles, well, we turned them on anyway, in our, in our Christmas Eve service, and the light spread. It was a picture of the way the gospel is spread, starting with the small manger in Bethlehem, up to Nazareth and Ga- in Galilee and Capernaum for a little while, then down to Jerusalem to a cross and glorious resurrection, then throughout the Middle East, you know, read the book of Acts, the light began to spread, and then it went over into Europe, and it's gone to East Asia, and then it came to the New World, and Now it's finding open hearts in the southern hemisphere and South America and and in Africa. The light of Christ and his gospel is shining and spreading, and the darkness is passing away. And, And the darkness therefore holds on more tightly, but the light shines more brightly, and the light will when the old commandment as old as time perhaps is love the old commandment to love one another becomes new and that Jesus has come he's filled his people by his spirit such that the light of Christ is growing and the love we have for one another grows greater please remember what i said earlier love is built on the foundation of truth the truth of the gospel. Christ's love does not grow by suppressing truth. It is found most clearly riding the wings of truth. Bringing us to our last point, obedience or disobedience to the command to love. It is important, you see, because it proves the reality of our faith. This is, this is not just a matter of saying, I, I, I don't hate you. It's a matter of being able to say, but I love you. Verse 9, John writes, the one who says, he said that back in verses 4 and 6, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments, liar. The one who says he abides in him ought to walk as Jesus walked. So those together were the moral test. Now John says, gets to the third test, the relational test, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. He will restate it more strongly in verse 11. The one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks. Remember, walks as a way of life. He walks in the darkness. Again, please note that John is not suggesting that this is just a confused believer, that this is an immature believer. Rather, this is not a believer at all. He remains in darkness, you see. 
Verse 11 goes on to say, he does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He's groping around in the dark. He's still blind to truth. He's still blind to the light of the gospel. He's still lost. You cannot say, I love Jesus, but I don't love Jesus' people. Remember the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world, that is Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. As I suggested earlier, John is not speaking of love in in, in just verbal expressions, although I'm going to come back to that, meaning he's not just talking about mushy sentimentality. In the gospel, in the, the, the epistle of John, we're going to find that love, he means to be expressed in action. It is not enough to say, I love other Christians without putting actions behind your words. He's going to talk about that in the chapters to come, so I will save it till then. But the point I want you to hear is this, to say that you love but not express that love in action is meaningless. One of my authors said this, failure to love actively, listen, Failure to love actively constitutes hatred. The kind of love that John is talking about is expressed in acting lovingly toward Christian family members. Verse 10 says it this way. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. This is the command. Old, new. He will address it over and over in this letter. To be a Christian, you must confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And as for assurance of faith, you, more proof of your faith, you seek to obey His commands and you love the Christian family. One another is clearly Christians here. He's not suggesting that we don't love non-Christians. Of course we do. That's what the story of the Good Samaritan is all about. Luke chapter 10 the point he is making in this letter is that Christians love other Christians. In the early church, they loved each other so much they couldn't get enough of each other. So they met daily in one another's homes. They shared meals together. They praised God together. They learned together. And yes, invited others to join them. They, they loved each other. We're going to see in verse 19 of chapter 2, the false teachers have seceded from the church. They saw themselves as being superior. They had a superior knowledge outside of the gospel, and they left, not demonstrating love for other believers. They, 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 they left proving that they themselves were not believers, and by doing so, they were causing the believers who remained to potentially stumble. And that's what he means. It's a stumbling block. If you truly love others, then you will abide in the light and you will not cause others to stumble. You will not invite them to sin with you. We have barely broached the subject of loving one another this morning. We are going to come back to it over and over, hearing John say over and over, my little children love one another. It is enough. How do we do it? How do we love one another? At least how do we, can I suggest, this is how we can begin to love one another. I've, I've thought about this a lot this week. Can I suggest the first thing we need to do is to make a mutual commitment of love to one another. A mutual commitment of love to one another. 
Think of it as a New Year's resolution. We can figure out how we do it in action along the way as we make our way through the book. I promise that we will do that. But for now, can I encourage you to express verbally, consciously, love for one another? Verbally. Because I believe our actions will follow our profession. I have men in my life, in our church, who do that for me regularly. I could start listing them. Faces are coming to my mind right now. My closest friends tell me by text, by email, verbally when we are talking, they tell me that they love me. To be sure they don't leave it there. As our relationship has grown through the years, it's become quite normal for, to, for us to, ex, to, to, to express our mutual love and commitment in action, but to express it verbally. Listen to me, men. Men, I know that we don't do that. It seems odd. I know from experience it's a challenging to do it at first. It seems so artificial until we begin backing those expressions with words of encouragement and actions of love. So here's my, here, here's my word of encouragement to you today. Here it is. Who can you tell today, this week? I'm not talking biological family. You can love them. That's fine. But who can you tell today, this week, Christian brother or sister, I love you. And, and, and don't, 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 don't try and cloak it, right? Sometimes, I, you know, I, I, I used to do it all the time, you know, it, 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 an email and, and you say, with, with love in Christ. What does with love in Christ mean? We, 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 we soften it. I get it. Okay, I get it. It's Christian love. But here's what I'm challenging you to do. I'm challenging you to express mutual love for each other. Find someone and tell them, today, I love you. I love you as a brother and sister in Christ. I'm thankful for what he has done and is doing in your life and in mine.